Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, God who at sundry times and in divers or various manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Once again this week I have literally agonized over what message to bring. You see, I don't want to just stand up here, as I've said before, and fill up time. That's not what I'm supposed to do. That's not what God would have me to do, is just try to make it from now till, I would say, 12 o'clock. That did make a few people faint, so I won't say that but just from now to when I get through. So I get concerned about what to preach. What do we need? And as I was thinking about that just this morning, I thought, I'm just going to give us an assessment of us, okay? Here's why sometimes it's so difficult to know what to preach. We're good folks. You can say amen to that. That's all. You can compliment yourself. I mean, I don't think we have any really horrible people here today, (laughs) you know, or as members of this church. We're good people. We're people who love coming together and worshiping God. We're people who love one another, who love the fellowship with one another. And so sometimes it gets really hard to know, well, what exactly do we need this week? One man said this one time. He said, well, preacher, when you don't know what to preach, just preach Jesus. And so that's what we're going to do this morning, okay? Today we're going to take a look at the uniqueness of, of our glorious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now that word unique is an interesting word. It means single, sole, or unequaled. And applying it to Jesus, I think, is appropriate. Because you see, Jesus is single, sole, unequaled among all of our world, all of creation. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is the only Savior. Acts 4.12, There is none other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. But at the name of Jesus, you see why we sang what we did a moment ago? There's something about that name. Jesus is the only way and the only truth and the only life. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's only one way to God, folks. It's not through church membership. It's not through baptism. It's not through being good. It's not through doing good. It's not through claiming to be a Christian. It is through repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, applying his blood by faith. Jesus truly is one of a kind. Jesus Jesus truly is unique, and Jesus, listen, Jesus is enough. You don't need anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus didn't simply point out the way to salvation. Jesus is the way to salvation, okay? Salvation is in him. Now, almost every epistle, and by the way, some people think an epistle was an apostle's wife. That's not right. An epistle is just a letter. And almost every epistle that was written to a church or to a group of believers was written to take care of a problem that existed. Now, here's what's going on in the book of Hebrews. 
These were Jewish believers. These were people who came out of Judaism and who had accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, and they were struggling. Number one, Jesus hadn't come back yet. I fully believe that all of those first century believers were looking day in and day out for the return of Jesus Christ. See, it's been 2,000 years now, and we don't look so intently for the return of Jesus, do we? We ought to pray for the return of Jesus, and we ought to look for the return of Jesus, because that's the only thing that's going to get us out of the mess that we're in, folks, is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus hadn't returned. These believers were being persecuted. I mentioned something in the Sunday school class this morning about what a blessing that we have in this country, but it hasn't always been so. In the very beginnings of this country, true believers were persecuted. And I believe it's possible that true believers will once again be persecuted if the Lord tarries in His coming, and that we'll experience that in God bless America. I don't like to think that way, but I think it could happen. And these now, because of persecution, were sort of reluctant to give up their Old Testament religion that they had had. And so, you know, we've just studied in the book of Galatians, and we're continuing our study there, that they were even going about trying to make converts to the Judaizers who wanted to get them back under the law. And so, because of that, some were drifting away, some were dropping out, some had quit serving the Lord. But the writer of Hebrews, and we don't know for sure who it was. I like to believe it was Paul. It could have been Apollos. It could have been someone else. But whoever God used to write the book of Hebrews is addressing this situation with these believers. And he's showing them that Jesus is better than anything that you ever had, anything that you do have, or anything that you ever will have. Somebody said this, you can get to know Jesus better. But you can't know anything better than Jesus, right? And that's what we need to do. We need to get to know the Lord Jesus Christ better. We live in a time when thousands of people, and for those who are in the class, think about this and think about the net and the fish and all of this. But we live in a time where you say, what are you talking about, preacher? That's okay. Those who are in Sunday school know, all right? We live in a time when thousands of people are keeping their names on church rolls, but they never show up to worship, they never show up to give, they never show up to serve the Lord. They think, if my name's on a church roll, that's good enough. Well, I got news for you. If that's what you're depending on to save you, and by the way, if you're watching by live stream and seeing this, I'm talking to you, right? If that's what you're depending on to save you, you better go back and get into the Word of God and see what salvation is and where it comes from, all right? Our world is exploding with violence. And people who once claimed the Lord Jesus Christ and claimed a closeness to the Lord Jesus Christ are beginning to lose heart. They're beginning to say, what's going on? And we have many people who are in danger of drifting away. We have many people who are in danger of dropping out. And if you're one of those this morning, let me encourage you this. You quit looking at the world. You quit looking at world conditions. And you put your eyes on Jesus Christ. That's the way you're going to make it through this world and through this life is focus your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. We sang that one verse. Brother Rick asked me last night, do you want to sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus before the message or at the invitation? I said, you just do what the Lord leads you to do, brother. And I was serious about that. We sang that stanza of turn your eyes upon Jesus. And that's what we need to do. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. One man said it this way. Put your eyes on Jesus and tell the world what you see. 
We're going to turn our eyes upon Jesus this morning for just a few moments. And the first thing we're going to see is that Jesus Christ expounds the mind of God. Jesus, what does it mean to expound? It means to relate or to make understood. Jesus expounds the mind of God. First of all, if you look at verses 1 and 2, you see that Jesus is the final word. He says, God in sundry times and in various manners has spoken unto fathers by the prophets. But what's he done in these last days? He has spoken by his dear Son, Jesus has been sent. Jesus, we have the written word in our hands. Jesus is the living word. And Jesus has been sent expressing God's mind to us. Now we go back and we read and we study that God has spoken to men through, maybe through their conscience, through creation, through the law, through the prophets. But in this day and in this age, in what we call the church age, finally and fully God speaks through His Son. Galatians 4.4. We just had this a few Wednesdays ago. What does it say? That in the fullness of the time, God sent forth His Son. What does it mean the fullness of the time at just the right time? God sent forth His Son, born of a woman made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. God sent Jesus, and it was not one minute too early, and it was not one minute too late, and Jesus came into this world and expressed the mind and the heart of God. You know what God's message to our world today is? It's Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, there's something special about the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, you're not going to find any new revelations. I know there are have been and are and there will be religions come out so I got a new revelation for you. Well, no, there's not going to be any new revelations. God said it all when he said Jesus. Jesus is not just the final word. Jesus is the full word. He is the full word. Look at verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. You know what that phrase express image means? It is the pushed out expression of God. I've heard this illustration, and I like this illustration. Let's say I'm just walking along one day, and there's an ant mound right there, and I accidentally step on that ant mound, and all of a sudden these little ants are scattered, and some are barely alive, and some are running this way and that, and I want to tell them why I didn't mean to do that. Well, how could I do it? Well, if I could become an ant and get down there in their ant language and talk to them, what did God do when he sent Jesus? God is so much higher than man. Man can't even look at God and come into the presence of God in a sinful condition. So what did he do? God took on human form. And he came down in human form and he dwelt among men. And Jesus said at one point, everything that you can know about God, you see in me. Somebody said one time, you want to get to know God better? Here's how you get to know God better. You get to know the Lord Jesus Christ better. Jesus is the expressed image, the pushed out image of God. John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you know what verse 14 says? It says, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We have the written Word, but Jesus Christ is the living Word. In fact, in Genesis, see, God intended this from the beginning. By the way, Jesus is not an emergency answer to man's sin. Calvary is not an emergency answer by God to man's sin. God knew all along that man was going to sin. And in fact, back in Genesis 1, chapter 1, verse 26, when God created the man, he said, talking to himself and, and the Son and the Holy Spirit, God said, 
let us make man in our own image. And literally that is the blood flowing, shadow casting image which we intend to become. The form that God was going to take on when he came in the person of Jesus Christ is the form that we were made. Why do you look like you do? Because that's the form God intended to take on when he came to this earth as a sacrifice for mankind's sin. God pressed himself out in the form of a man and is the one that we know as the Lord Jesus. Jesus told his disciples and especially Thomas at one point, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Again, everything that we can know about God is seen in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way to truly know God is to first of all have a relationship with Jesus Christ which comes by repentance and faith in Him. And then to have a close relationship, a close fellowship with Him. You want to get to know God better, you get to know Jesus better. God has revealed his characteristics in Jesus. What do we see in Jesus? We see his love. We see his mercy. We see his desire for mankind to be saved. And that is the heart of God. Jesus is the full word. But we also see his justice. And we see his hatred of sin. You say, does God hate? Yes, God hates sin, folks. God loves sinners. All sinners. See, we sort of pick and choose about what kind of sinners we want to love, don't we? Well, if they're not too bad, if they don't do this, if they don't do that, well, we'll love them. We'll try to get the gospel to them. But now listen, if you're one of those really vile sinners and we sort of make up our minds what that is, I'm not going to worry about you. You know what? God loves the really vile sinners too. Jesus died for the really vile sinners too. Jesus wants to see and God wants to see what we call the really vile sinners saved. So Jesus is the final word. Jesus is the full word. Jesus is the faithful word of God. Look over to the book of Galatians for just a moment. Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 22. And then I want to read verse 26. But Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 22. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. In other words, this is what we've just looked at on Wednesday nights. God knew that mankind needed to be saved and he gave the law for a purpose to point to Jesus. The law was never intended to save anybody. You couldn't be saved by keeping the law because you couldn't keep the law. It was impossible to keep all of the Mosaic law. And the idea is that if you broke one point, one small point of the law, you broke the whole law. So you couldn't keep the law. But the law was to show mankind is a sinner. And upon realizing that he was a sinner, in all of the sacrifices, the law pointed to one thing, that without shedding of blood is no remission. And the only, it wasn't the blood of bulls and goats that could take away sin, but the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says that Jesus had been promised. You go back to the third chapter of Genesis. Jesus had been promised, and you get to verse 26, and he says, For ye are all, now he's writing to save people here, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the faithful word. God's message of salvation, as I said, has always been Jesus, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says this, For all the promises of God in him are yea. Yea means yes, right? Well, what does that mean? Here's what it means. It means you can trust God to keep his promises. 
You can trust God and the Lord Jesus to keep their promises. Whatever God says, God is going to do. It may not be in our time frame when we want it done, but when God says he's going to do something, folks, God is going to do it. His promises include what? Salvation. His promises include security. His promises include the resurrection. His promises include the glorified body. Over in the sixth chapter of John, listen to what Jesus said beginning in verse 38. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. There's security right there, folks. Do you realize that if one saved person could lose their salvation, Jesus did not do God's will? And if Jesus did not do God's will, he was not the son of God and he was not the perfect sacrifice for sin? That I should lose nothing, but I should raise it up again at the last day. There's the resurrection. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. That's the promise of God. If you will trust Jesus, if you haven't already, if you will trust Jesus, if you will ask him to save you, trusting what he did on the cross, you will be saved and he will raise you up at the last day. The promise of the resurrection is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's just go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. I mean, if all this preaching and teaching of Jesus is, is to get us from birth to death and there's nothing beyond death, guess what? We're fooling ourselves. We're tricking ourselves. But now, I like verse 20. I always like that little word but in the scriptures. See, God was going to wipe out the world, all of creation in Genesis 6, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. If in this life only we have hope in Jesus, we are of all men most miserable, but... Now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death and by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Adam, who was the head of this race, sinned against God and plunged us all into sin. But Jesus Christ came with God as his father. He didn't have a sin nature. He willingly went to the cross and died for us that we might have everlasting life. And so salvation is in him. First Thessalonians chapter 4, the dead in Christ. Those who have died trusting Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to be with the Lord in the air. You know what Paul's attitude, I love Paul's attitude toward Jesus was and he is. I've, it's probably better today than it was when he's on this earth. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. He wasn't ashamed of Jesus. How many people today who profess Jesus are ashamed of him? So ashamed of him they won't mention in public that they know him as Savior. So ashamed of him they won't be identified with him on a Sunday morning in a worship service, worshiping God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, I'm not ashamed Listen, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. There's Paul's attitude toward Jesus. He not only saved me, he sealed me, he secures me. Jesus is faithful. Jesus is dependable. You can trust Jesus. 
he expounds the mind of God. But Jesus also executes the will of God. Verse 2 says, He hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. Jesus is the power of creation. John chapter 1 verse 3 says, And without him was not anything made that was made. You go back to Genesis 1.1, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Jesus is right there. He is the creating force of this universe. And he revealed his great power when he created this universe. Just listen to this. This is awesome. It takes seven and one half million pounds of thrust to lift a rocket off of this earth. Seven and one half million pounds of thrust. That is equal to a string of locomotives lined up from New York City to Chicago end to end and all revved up at full throttle. That's seven and a half million pounds of thrust. The nearest star to this earth is four and one half light years away. Now what that means is you have to travel at the speed of light, isn't that 186,000 miles per second? You have to travel at the speed of light for four and a half years to reach the nearest star to this earth. Well, who made the universe and who hung the stars in the sky? Jesus did. A solar flare. You know what a solar flare is? I understand they're going to rev up again this year. A solar flare, which is just a bubble bursting on the surface of the sun. That sounds so simple, doesn't it? A solar flare has more power than 100 million hydrogen bombs. Now, folks, that's some power. Where did all of that power come from? Who made the sun? Jesus did. Who put the stars in the sky? Jesus did. Who put this, what we call the law of gravity on this earth? Jesus did. That's where all of this power comes. And listen, if Jesus can run this universe, he can handle your problems, whatever they are. Jesus is not only the power of creation, he's the possessor of creation. This universe was made by him, and this universe was made for him. Look at verse 2. Whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Somebody says, oh, I don't know what this world's coming to. Well, I'll tell you what it's coming to. It's coming to Jesus. It was made by him, and it was made for him. And you say, well, well, what does all of that mean to us? We'll just turn over to Romans chapter 8. I'm glad you asked. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, or Daddy, Daddy, the Spirit itself or Himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And listen to this. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. This world's coming to Jesus. It's his. But guess what? The Bible says we are joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. I heard about a man showing a child of God across his vast empire. And he'd show him all of his acreage. And this Christian man would say, well, you ought to see my brother's place. And he'd show him something else. He'd say, well, you ought to see my brother's place. And he'd show him something else. He'd say, you ought to see my brother's place. And finally, the man said, who is your brother? And he said, Jesus. <laughs> Joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know that scripture teaches us that one of these days that we are going to rule and reign with the Lord Jesus? You say, Brother Jim, what does that all does that mean? I don't know what all it means, but I know some of what it means. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 6 tells us this. 
Revelation chapter 20 and verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. I talked about the two resurrections in Sunday school. You don't want to be in the second one. You want to be in the first resurrection, okay? Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul reminds believers that we're going to judge angels. Then why do we have such problem judging things on this earth, right? We're going to judge angels. Jesus is the possessor of creation, and it's all coming to him. Jesus expounds the mind of God. He executes the will of God because he is also the preserver of creation. Look down to verses 10 and 11 here in this first chapter of Hebrews. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they shall all wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall fail not. Jesus is in control of this world and world events. Now, what verses 11 and 12 tell us is this. This universe, folks, is wearing out. It's wearing down. One of these days, the Lord's just going to fold it up and put it away. I looked up the second law of thermodynamics. This is physics stuff, okay? And basically what the second law, part of what that second law of thermodynamics says is this, that everything is in a constant state of degeneration within a closed system. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, it's illustrated by a, just take a child's toy, a top. I know I wanted to get a video and I couldn't find any good videos of a top spinning. But you've seen a top. Some of these young people may not have. Maybe they have. But you've seen a top. You can take a coin and spin it. Anything that you can spin. And you start spinning that top and it's a real tight spin right at first. But what happens as gravity acts on that top? It slows down. And when it slows down, it begins to wobble, and eventually it falls over. Folks, that's what this universe is doing. In keeping with the laws of physics, well, who wrote the laws of physics? Jesus did, <laughs> okay? This universe is wearing down, but Jesus is still in control of this world and the events of this world. Now, people will watch the news, and they'll watch the news, and they'll get all scared and, and afraid, and the things that are happening maybe do scare you a little bit. But what we need to remember is that Jesus Christ is in control. Amen. Things are going to happen according to God's will and according to God's timeline. You know that Jesus predicted the condition of this world? He said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. Well, what were the days of Noah like? Well, people were just going about life as usual. They were marrying Giving in marriage, they were eating, then drinking. There's nothing wrong with getting married. That's not sinful. There's nothing wrong with giving your daughter in marriage, with eating, with drinking. But what he's saying was they were going about life as usual, not giving thought to the judgment of God coming upon the earth. Do you know what people are doing today? They're going about life as usual. They're not giving thought that, hey, Jesus could come back today. Jesus could put an end to all of this. God could put an end to all of this. I mean, within seven years, this could all be over. Amen. Well, a thousand and seven. How's that? That time of Christ, 
millennial reign upon this earth, but it could be over. People are living just to get to tomorrow. It amazes me. People will go out and they will buy life insurance. Hundreds of thousands of dollars of life insurance. And then they'll live like they're not going to die. And then you talk to them about Jesus and they don't want to talk about Jesus. They don't want to talk about dying. Well, you bought life insurance. You know you're going to die. And yet, they don't want to talk about it, don't want to plan for eternity. But one of these days, God's just going to fold this thing up, folks. He's going to put it away. The evolutionist says that this world is building up. The evolutionist says everything is getting better. No, we're not evolving, we're devolving. I think as the human race, we have reached our peak at some point in the past, and it's just a downward slope from here on, folks. Jesus said also as it was in the days of Lot. What were the days of Lot like, folks? They were vile days, sinful days. You read what went on in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and in that area. You go over and read the first chapter of the book of Romans beginning in about verse 18. That when men recognized that there was a higher power, that there was a supreme being, they didn't worship God as God. And they begin to worship idols and they begin to get into all kinds of sensual and, and sexual sins because of that. And I think that's talking at least a little bit about Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus predicted through his word, through God's word, the condition of churches just like this one. You know that? 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, in the last days, it says, perilous times shall come. Listen to this. These are people who profess Christ. These are people who are in the Lord's churches, I believe. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And then he says this having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Do you know anybody that has a form of godliness? Years ago, I got enough of what I call internet religion. People that I knew, that I knew didn't go to church, that I knew were doing other things, weren't interested in the things of God, but almost every day they're going to post something about God and about Jesus on Facebook. That's internet religion. That doesn't do you any good. No, having a form of godliness. Over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3, we know what he said there, but because he talked about the coming of the Antichrist, and he said that no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, an apostasy. That word apostasy is akin to another Greek word which has the idea of divorce. There's coming a divorcing, and that's not talking about people just not coming to church that's talking about once true churches of the Lord Jesus Christ turning their backs on the truth see you can't be divorced from someone or something that you haven't been married to churches that were once married to the truth and once loved the truth and proclaimed the truth in these last days are turning their backs on the truth because they had to get a few more people in a few more people means a little bit bigger offering doesn't it not always Somebody worries about, well, with the, is the world going to be destroyed by an atomic chain reaction? Have things gotten so out of hand? When will the world end? Well, first of all, man's not going to destroy what God made. 
We can make living conditions rough, but we're not going to destroy it. And the world will end when God says so and not until. There are three kinds of people, three classes of people in this world. There are those who are afraid. There are those who don't know enough to be afraid. And then there are those who know the Bible. Okay? Jesus expounds the mind of God. Jesus expresses or executes the will of God. And Jesus expresses the heart of God in verse 3. Look at verse 3 and notice the contrast here between Jesus and men. And look at what it says here. It says, His glory, His person, His power, our sin. (laughs) There's the contrast. His glory, His person, His power, our sins. It's not amazing that God is so mighty and wonderful, folks. Here's the amazing thing. It's that God would care for such as us. A holy and righteous God would care for such as us. little boy was praying. He didn't quite get it right, but I think he did. He prayed, Our Father which art in heaven, how does he know my name? Isn't that cute? But that's true. Do you know that God knows me by name? In fact, he knows me better than I know myself, and he knows you better than you know yourself. He knows all of your thoughts. He knows all of your likes and dislikes. God even knows when we sin against him. Jesus is all-knowing. Jesus is all-loving. Jesus is all-powerful. And yes, he does know us and know us by name. He said at one point, even, now this is, I always like to point out, this is easier for for him for some than it is for others, but he says even the very hairs of your head are numbered. Okay? That's how well Jesus knows us. Then there's the mind of Christ. Again, John 3, 16, he expresses the heart of God that God loved us so much he sent his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The heart of God is seen in the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation. And took on the form of a man. He came down to earth and he lived among men and died there on the cross. It's love so great that apart from the presence of Jesus Christ, you cannot realize it and you cannot understand it. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. Isn't that simple? Isn't that hard to do? But isn't it a simple command? Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. A lost person cannot understand agape type of love, and that's what it's talking about here. A self-sacrificing type of love. A lost person can't get it. And the only way you and I can understand it is by the experience that we have with it in the love of God for us. God didn't say, Jim, you've got to get better. And then I'll save you. He said, I'll take you just like you are. All you do is just turn to me and you trust me to save you. All that a child of God is supposed to be, folks, should express the mind of Christ and express the heart of God. That's what we ought to be doing. And finally, right quickly, the mission of Christ. What was the mission of Jesus? Somebody said, oh, he, he came to go to the cross. Well, you're right. But listen to what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then Paul says, of whom I am chief. See, I think that's an attitude that the average child of God misses. 
Paul said, I'm the number one sinner, and the Lord saved me. And Paul was grateful for his salvation, and he lived out that gratitude for his salvation. If every child of God would get that attitude, can you realize what that would do to us? If every child of God would say, hey, Paul wasn't the chief sinner, I was the chief sinner. God saved me. And I'm so thankful to God for what he did. But see, most of us grow up in, in pretty good surroundings, right? Wasn't too bad, wasn't too good. We just, yeah. Jesus said at one time, to whom much is forgiven, there'll be a great deal of gratefulness there. And see, what happens is we don't realize how much, of, how much we have been forgiven. Paul did. I was the chief sinner and God saved me. Jesus is a solitary Savior. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't come into this world as a stately sovereign. He came as a suffering Savior, as a solitary Savior. As I said earlier, all you need is Jesus. You don't need anything else to be saved. It's not Jesus plus anything, folks. It's Jesus Christ to save you. I'll give you that verse again. Neither is the salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. When Jesus died on the cross, what was the last thing he said before he dismissed his spirit from his body? Tetelestai is the Greek word. It is finished. Paid in full. Everything that needs to be done to save, to seal, and to secure has been done. And to prove that when he ascended into heaven, the scripture says he sat down by the right hand of the Father. Now, unless you understand some of the Old Testament activities, you won't get that. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest made atonement for all of the people. And he started very early in the morning. And because he was the only one who could go into the Holy of Holies, they tied a bell or bells on his garments. And a rope around his foot. In case he died in there making the sacrifices, they couldn't go in and get him. They'd have to pull him out. But he started very early in the morning. He worked very late in the evening making these sacrifices. And only after every sacrifice for sin had been made could he sit down. He was on his feet all day long. Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. Every sacrifice for sin, folks, has been made. People need to quit trying to be saved. And they need to start trusting Jesus to be saved. You ever talk to anybody and ask them if they're saved? And they say, well, I'm trying to be. Just tell them next time, quit trying. Start trusting. Mankind's greatest problem, folks, is sin. Now, I know the humanist calls it human weakness. The psychologist calls it psychological maladjustment. The criminologist calls it antisocial behavior, and the sociologist calls it cultural lag. Do you know what the Bible calls it? Sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And there is only one cure for sin. And you know what that is? It's Jesus. Jesus. You know, there really is something special about the name of Jesus, isn't there? Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, who willingly, willingly, I believe knowing what he was going to face, because remember, he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane about the cup that he was going to have to drink of, which I, it was the separation from the Father, even for that period of time. And yet, 
he came knowing that was going to happen and did it anyway because, now imagine this love, because of his great love for every one of us that we might be saved. Oh, there ought to be in our hearts such a gratitude toward God that we would say, I never want to dishonor, to disobey, to disappoint my heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He loved me so much that he did this for me. What can I do for him? I'm gonna tell you a quick little secret and I want you to forget it once I tell it. You know the way but to get me to where I just, I want to do something for you. As you do something for me, I want to do something back. To show my appreciation. Well, we can never do enough for God to repay Him for what Jesus did and for what God did. But again, our hearts and our lives ought to be filled with such gratitude that we'll try to do as much as we can for our Lord and for our Savior.